grace heals. Grace heals our relationship with God. It heals our relationships with others. And it heals us physically and emotionally. Grace heals us when our immune system kicks in and heals us when we have a cut or we have some sort of an infection that it heals. It heals us when a doctor can successfully treat us because of his God-given abilities and his research. And it can also miraculously heal. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERA Arlington's 96.7 FM. This is Sal Dietry, and I'll be your host for the program. Are you or someone you know fighting a life-threatening illness like cancer, diabetes, or Alzheimer's? Have you been looking for answers that go beyond conventional medicine? Have someone's illnesses perhaps driven you to question your faith or wonder, does God exist at all? Have you wondered, what does the Bible really say about healing, inspiration, wellness, and health? Well, if you've answered yes to any of these questions, well, you'll find tonight's program particularly of interest. I'll be chatting again with Ed Mellick, my co-host in Grace and 30. He'll be telling us about a journey and walk along with his ex-wife, Diane, as she battled pancreatic cancer. We'll be talking about a number of interesting things he learned, including the results of a deep dive analysis into the healing of the Bible and Scripture. Ed, welcome to Grace in 30. Good to be here. Yeah, welcome back. And it's important to continue uh, in this discussion as we go from the grace that uh, you and Diane exhibited together to sort of the inspiration behind that. And, And it comes deeply from scripture and the healing uh, text of the Bible. Tell us about when you first learned uh, that uh, you know your ex-wife was facing a pancreatic cancer. Yeah, we talked a couple weeks ago. I was on the program, and just by summary, Diane and I, Diane filed for a divorce about 11 years ago after a 22-and-a-half-year marriage. And very quickly after that, I, I realized I, I didn't want a tit-for-tat divorce. I didn't want to, you know, every bad thing be, be countered with an equally or worse bad thing. And, and someone I know very well also challenged me. He said, why don't you try to be the person through which God loves Diane more than anyone else? And my initial reaction to that is, that kind of sounds crazy. You're getting divorced. You're kind of enemies attacking one another. But about three weeks after she had said she was leaving, God gave me a glimpse of what I call the realness and the power and the practicality and the beauty of his grace. It was something really amazing happened, and we, we discussed that a couple of weeks ago. And at that point, I was hooked on grace. And and when I talk about grace, I mean the unearned, unmerited, unwavering expressions of love, service, forgiveness, kindness, sacrifice. So that sort of sets the tone for our discussion here. Um, So I just determined when when I sort of saw that revelation that I was going to try to live a life characterized by grace from that point on. So that sort of sets the stage. It was about three years ago in July of 2016 that I got a call on a Thursday night from Diane and she seemed worried. Um, she had uh, elevated levels of bilirubin in her system. And I, I, that sounded like a deli sandwich to me, bilirubin. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. I know she was concerned, and she was having an, an ultrasound the next day. And I got on the web the next day, and you, you look things like that up, and they tell you, they give you eight possibilities, and the bottom one is pancreatic cancer. They're trying to keep you you know, away from that initially. So she had the scan. She called me again on Friday night. And she said, yes, there is a mass in my pancreas, and it's blocking the bile duct, which is the reason the bile is backing up into my blood. 
And things got really serious because her dad had died from pancreatic cancer when he was 60. She was 58. It can be a, a hereditary thing. And she, she kind of knew she, was, she had it. And she was scheduled to have a CT scan the following Monday to confirm, to get a better visual on what was going on. And that night, I was, I was kind of, you know, a wreck. I was, you know, I, I moved in and out of sadness and then into just boldly rebuking her illness in prayer to worrying about the logistics. We were divorced. We lived a half an hour apart. And we have hardly any family. And I thought, I got to help her. And, and how am I going to do this thing? Within, I guess, she had that CAT scan on a Monday. Clearly, it showed, you know, she had a, a tumor. Within two weeks, they had gone down her throat and placed a stent in her bile duct so that she could release that bile again. She turned yellow. She was jaundiced. Her eyes were yellow. She had a maddening itch where she would itch to the point of bleeding. And they did a biopsy at the same time that they placed that stent. And within a matter of days, as a matter of fact, the doctor called me from the hospital and he said, I'll meet you downstairs. I drove over from my condo and I met him outdoors. It was a beautiful day. And he held up a paper and it only had one word. The, the entire report had one word on it. And that word was adenocarcinoma. And he said, very bad word. Yeah. And uh, as we've now come to know, because it, uh, as people are exposed to this, Al, you know, the Alex Trebek, of course, has announced in this time period that he has pancreatic cancer. We know that this is a aggressive disease. There's very little that can be done for it. Um, and that uh, once discovered, the prognoses are, are quite terrible. For many people, they, they turn to the internet, they start reading things, they start thinking about things. You decided at, at some point to turn to the Bible and start saying, what are some of the healing scriptures that are in the Bible? Healing the soul, healing the body, Tell us a little bit about how that journey began for you. So, like you said, I did all that other stuff, read articles, watched YouTube videos, bought all sorts of books. But I also, besides just looking at conventional medicine and alternative medicine, which I call non-standard care, I wanted to know everything the Bible said about healing. I had researched it in the past when I had various injuries and health problems, nothing this serious, though. And I wanted to know everything. I felt each time I studied it, I, I learned enough, but then I would, a week or a month or a year later, find out something else and say, well, that kind of conflicts with what I understood before. How can I know everything? And so I, I just took a what I call a deep plunge into the Bible's healing pool. And I just started looking up scriptures, and I started pulling them out and sticking them in a, a Word document, and all of a sudden it just spun out of control. I had all sorts of verses and passages, and I decided to roll them into an Excel spreadsheet. And I noticed certain trends. So I started classifying scriptures as, you know, ones that described a specific healing account, those that were healing related, but they didn't describe a healing, and then those that were clearly related, but not explicitly so. And I just started, started crunching the numbers, and I paid particular attention to the healings in, in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And I started to learn some pretty amazing things, things that changed uh, my behavior, how I interacted with uh, Diane and the things we started doing. You know, I, I looked at a total of 330 passages of Scripture, and that could mean two chapters like Acts 3 and 4 or just a single verse. Uh, what I discovered was there were 51 specific healing accounts described in the New Testament, 85 descriptions. Some of them were described two or three times, and there were 21 uh, in the Old Testament. And there were 38 in the Gospels. 36 of those were Jesus uh, performing a healing. 
And I just started to see that there was a lot of information in the Word, and, and I started to roll the data up, just fill out the data and see you know, who was healed, who did the healing, what sort of actions were involved. Were, were, were big prayers, you know, evangelicals and Christians in America, they love to pray for sick people. You know, was there a lot of praying going on or not? You know, what, what caused the sickness? What were the things that were explicitly mentioned in the Bible? And then I wanted to lay the numbers out and then just let them speak for themselves. What were some of those that, you know, we always think when I think of the Bible, I think of things like leprosy. I think of people who had, were, you know, cast out demons and things like that. These were both, I would say, illnesses of the soul, illnesses of the mind, illnesses of the body, illnesses of the heart. What, what are some of the things that, that resonated with you in that research? Well, that, that's one of the many things that really stood out is Jesus and the disciples and anyone who healed in the New Testament, they were not in the business of healing something that was unseen on a stage while music was playing and lights were dimmed and the really sick people were laying in gurneys in the back never to be seen or talked to. They healed the toughest of the toughest. They, they healed leprosy. They healed blindness. They healed paralysis. They routinely raised people from the dead. And, and when they healed someone, they healed them swiftly and completely. There was no, there was no playing around. So that really struck a chord with me because, you, you, frankly, you don't see that kind of thing today. You hear about it in various pockets, uh, typically overseas, where, where people's faith is really more genuine, at least I believe. But if, you, if someone was really doing those kind of things today, you would know about it, and people would flock to those sort of people. And in your studies, I mean, look, does God want us to be healthy? There's so much sickness in this world, and yet God wants great things for us. We're made in the image of God. We're God's children. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts there. Well, it, it's, it's funny because there's sort of a whole continuum of, of opinions on this. There are the people who are the, the prosperity gospel folks who believe that God wants us healthy and wealthy all the time. You name it and claim it. You blab it and grab it. <laughs> put a quarter in and yeah, put 50 cents in and God will give you the Coke machine. So, yeah. so, and I've read some of those people's books. And all the way at the other end, there are people that are called cessationists who, who believe, hey, that all stopped. Once the apostle apostolic period ended, that sort of healing stopped. And then there's a little bit of everything in between. And it's funny enough, I, I looked at these healing accounts. I did the data analysis, and then I broadened the scope of the analysis, and I looked at you know, just general scriptures, for example, there's one in the book of James where he talks about, you know, if anyone is sick among you, call on the elders to come and pray over you. And there are people that believe what that means is you're so sick that you can't get up, and the elders come, they're, they're praying over you. And and they, it's an act of faith on their part. It's the healer's faith. So, so the, what I found was that God does make people sick, and he did so routinely in the Old Testament. It's not as routinely in, in the New Testament, but he did do things. I mean, Jesus himself made Saul of Tarsus blind for three days while he was traveling to Damascus, and, and he had this conversion. He became the Apostle Paul. God afflicted King Herod, and he used an intermediary to do that. So he sort of, there, there was this mediary between. He used an angel to afflict him with worms, and he died. And of course, one of the most fam famous examples of all is Job. I mean, uh, God allowed Satan to afflict uh, Job with very serious illness, but he gave him the permission to do so. So he is he's sovereign and he can do these things. So the question is, does, does God want us to be living in, you know, unobstructed health and, and happiness? And really, there is no place in the Bible that explicitly says that. Mm. We're supposed to live that way. And there are reasons for sickness, sin, the, the broken, fallen nature of our wor world, uh, lack of faith. And there's an interesting thing, too, that I discovered, and that is that 
Jesus, when he first came, he in a sense partially set up his kingdom. He set it up in, in, in the hearts of believers and followers, and we're supposed to represent that kingdom for people. That we're supposed to provide a foretaste of that. But that was only partially established. It's going to be fully established when he returns. And that kind of answers almost any conflict in the Bible. Because you, know, you, you see places where he say, hey, if you know my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, my, my followers would fight for me. But then he said in another place, well, if, you know, if I'm healing by God, uh, his power, then the kingdom has truly arrived among you. So what I learned is the most important type of healing, and we'll talk about this later, is really the, the healing of our relationship with God and then with each other. Well, yeah, you go on, you talk a little bit about sort of this holistic view of the person, and, and holistic medicine is all the, the rage has been for the last decade. H how does the holistic person tap into that faith, tap into the Bible, and, and bring that into the holistic approach? Because, you know, it's part of being healthy, right? Healthy spirit is a part as much as a healthy shake. Yeah, I studied this, and I wanted to know what is the framework. Everyone has a framework they, they'll give to you, and they'll talk about the microbiome, and they'll talk about your emotions. And I thought, well, what does God tell us about the human being? I mean, what are our fundamental parts, and how do you feed each one of them? How do you exercise them? How do you detoxify them? And what I discovered, I already kind of knew this, but I really dove deeply into it, is that human beings are what's called tripartite, which means we have three parts. There's our physical being, there's our soul, and there's our spirit. And our soul has our, our will in it. It has uh, our emotions. Our, our spirit part has a, a fellowship with God. It has our conscience in it. And there's ways to feed each one of these things. And so I, I've written a book, as you know, recently, uh, a couple of books, but one of them is specifically on this data analysis that I did. And there are ways that you feed, for example, your spirit and, and your soul. You, you, the Bible is very clear that the Word, the Bible, God's Word, is considered food, a form of food. Forgiveness, that's a form of detoxification. And actually, trials build our faith. The more sort of trials that we go through and as, as we learn to endure through these trials, it builds up our faith. So there, there are these things that we can do. We hear a lot about nutrition, getting to the gym, getting the right amount of sleep. There are things that are similar to that that we can do to feed and exercise and care for our spirits and our souls. So let me ask you, uh, what are some of these uh, outcomes and consequences uh, described in the Bible that tell us the purpose of healing. Uh, Jesus healed lepers. He healed the blind. He would often say, you know, go forth, or, you know, now your, your faith has saved you, um, or, you know, because of your belief, he would touch people. He would do various things, various ways of healing. What, what are some of the things that uh, came out in your analysis? That's really fascinating because people, you, you'll, you'll look at a, one particular verse or maybe 10 verses and, you, and you'll build up an argument. And, and it's like this with anything. It's not just biblical analysis. It's whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever. We have itching ears, as the Bible says. We want to hear what we want to hear and, and discard or criticize something that doesn't agree with our, our preconceived notions. And I wanted to kind of push that all aside. I've heard people say, well, God, you know, Jesus didn't show off when he was healing. Um, you know, God, he, he told people not to tell about the healings. So all of the, the and I did, I struggled for the right word to use for this. And when I wrote the book is to use the word outcome or consequence. But when G Jesus healed, sometimes it would say, you know, all the people praised God or, or there were people that came to faith or whatever. And I tried to capture every one of those, every single one of them across the 51 healing accounts or actually 85 descriptions. 
and I came up with a lot of stuff. It was 130, 150, what I call consequences or outcomes. And those are indicative of the purpose of the healing. So one of the things I noticed was that over and over, people were using terms like miraculous and, and undeniable. And one, one person said, never since the beginning of the world has someone been able to open the eyes of a blind person. Well, that's all inspiring. And the other thing is that news about Christ and what he was doing just swept through the region. And people were coming from all around to just touch his robe and just be near him and to get healed. And he typically healed everyone he came into contact with. So it, it, there were sort of six fundamental things that I grouped. One is just the, the widely known, miraculous, undeniable, awe-inspiring nature of these healings. The second thing was that they validated who Jesus was and, and, and supported his message and the message of the disciples. Yeah, that's right. Many times these folks, would he would say, who do you say I am? And they would say, Lord. Mm -hmm. Right. They, they, there was no doubt about it. Yep. And then he, they aroused praise. I mean, when people saw what people were doing and, and really revealed who God is. I mean, God is compassionate and merciful and loving. And when he did these things, when he healed people, it, it revealed who he was. And the other thing that was really cool is that Diane did a, at one point, a cannabis treatment. And, and that's illegal in Virginia. And I'm not going to get into the stories about that <laughs> during this interview. We can talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I really struggled with how to support her in that decision. She was willing to drive anywhere and buy weed and cook it in her apartment and, you know, whatever it took. And I struggled because I was like, well, I don't want to violate the law. But I noticed that Jesus broke the law often. He healed on the Sabbath, and he was criticized for doing that. Uh, he let a bleeding woman touch him, um, and, and this is something that would make you unclean in the Jewish faith. Um, he touched lepers. He would reach out and touch them, and this was just unheard of. And he, he sort of demonstrated that love and compassion rise above the law. They're more important than the law. Well, yeah, that's right, and that the, the higher law was to, to help these people, right? It, that's, it's more important. And then the final thing out of those, those six was that these sort of healings provided a foretaste of the kingdom. This is what the good news is, that there's a coming kingdom, and this kingdom has no sickness, no war, no sin, no grief, no tears. That's all going to be eliminated for eternity. Now, that is, if that is true, that is incredibly good news. And, and that coupled with the fact of what Christ did, how he pays the penalty that we have, we're living under right now for our sins, and we can just pass into citizenship in that kingdom, if we simply believe, that's an amazing, amazing thing. So uh, during this time period, you all, as you mentioned, were trying numerous things uh, in different areas of medicine, uh, you were going to different doctors, looking at many different options, experimental, trying the, the regular drug treatment. So you had a lot on your mind. And oh, yeah. at this time, you were, you and Diane were also, you know, looking and reflecting on scripture. How did this uh, affect Diane and help her in her battle with all these other things going on, including the effects of this terrible illness? Well, it had a, it had a great effect on her. Um, it's interesting when she was diagnosed, and that, and I, and I actually fasted for three days from Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right after that Friday night, because um, I love her, I cared for her, and I was doing whatever I could to draw close to God and get insight and wisdom and peace. And Diane and my daughter Shannon and me all went to church together for the first time in eleven or twelve years in the same car that Sunday. I mean, I, I was an emotional wreck. I was so happy, but also, you know, just a wreck of everything that was happening. And we started to try to go to services together more often. I think Diane really was reestablishing re her relationship with God. This really forced her, in a sense, to do that. And she started a fulfirinox treatment, a highly toxic uh, uh, concoction of four chemo drugs, 
and it really caused a lot of problems with her. And at one point, she couldn't get out of the house barely because of all the diarrhea. And she, um, we would listen to sermons together at the kitchen table in her apartment. And during one of them, a guy named Robert Morris, he, was, he, he quoted the scripture in Philippians. He said, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. And I remember her distinctly picking up a pen, because I'm a big note taker, and she reached over as I was taking notes and she marked my notebook. She was highlighting it. It really spoke to her. And think, let's just say the scripture again. I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. And it just showed that she really understand the gravity of the situation she was facing, but she was going to trust that her life brought honor to Christ. And that just was an anchor for everything. Uh, you know, she just, her relationship with God healed. Her relationship with me continued to heal. It had already experienced an amazing healing over eight years, and it just skyrocketed when she was diagnosed because I just made it the point to take her every single place I could possibly take her. And she just had a sense of peace and, and hopefulness because of this. And, and I remember also when she was really sick at one point, um, she had a bunch of friends, old sorority sisters, join her. And they were really upset. And, and we kind of got Diane in her bedroom. And she was sitting up in her bed. And all the women were standing around. And, and they went around the room praying. And they were all emotional and crying and everything. When they got to Diane, Diane goes, what's everybody crying for? <laughs> she says, I'm okay. I'm okay with everything. And, I, and it was just really an amazing insight into sort of, I, I believe, the peace, the scriptures say, the peace that transcends all human understanding. And I believe she got that, you know, through her relationship with God. Well, what's clear is that while many things physically were dying because of the treatments, because of the cancer, clearly her faith, her spirit, her soul were growing in a way that hadn't in perhaps 15 or 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was, and, and I say to people all the time, and this sounds trite when you're not suffering, and it's easy for me to sit here and say this, but you could be really sick for 100 years. I mean, terribly sick every day for 100 years. And if you die and you pass into the kingdom, and you have eternity without sickness or illness or tears or war or trouble anymore. It's, it's infinity to nothing. I mean, it's the, the, the ratio is it's meaningless. And there's purpose behind all these things that we go through. And if you just have that sort of attitude and understand that there's a far better future ahead of us, then it just gives life a whole different meaning. What do you say when people uh, say, well, you know, uh, I'm different, you know, maybe perhaps, uh, you know, the outcome won't be the same for me. They, you know, they don't want to go to the Bible. What do you say to people then uh, in terms of their faith or, or trying to get them to move forward? Well, I, I'm for people who are not already Christians or believers, followers of Jesus, whatever you call it. I just say to people, I challenge people to really consider Jesus. Don't look at the Christians. <laughs> we, for some reason, God chose to share in his creative work with people, human beings that are flawed and sinful and rebellious and violent and angry. But he chose that for a reason we don't quite understand. He's sharing in that with us. But I always challenge people, go right to Jesus. Get Go, go to BibleGateway.com. And pull up one of the millions of different translations. One is called the New Living Trans Translation, the NLT. Look at that. Go to the Gospels. Go to Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke and read about Jesus. Because if you read about him, you will be blown away. All the things that people yearn for in terms of justice and peace and, and, and fairness and all these things, that's Jesus. He's absolutely and utterly amazing. He's irresistible. And again, he's going to be a perfect king. He's not going to be... You know, Obama or Trump or Bush or any of these, he's going to be a truly perfect king leading a just 
a perfectly just prosperous and peaceful kingdom when he returns. And I just challenge people to really learn about him and make your decision based on what you learn about him in the scriptures. Yeah, that's right. I heard a quote uh, a few weeks ago, you know, there's nothing more attractive than holiness. Yep. And you look at uh, the example of someone small, a little person like Mother Teresa dumped in a slum in Calcutta. People start looking at her. The nation starts looking at her. The world's looking at her. Regardless of faith or whether you're a believer or not, you have to look at that and and see the healing that goes on there, both physically and the things that she did and just this little woman, you know, less than five feet. Look, what are some of the main things you want to share? We've got a few minutes left. Challenge our listeners as always. Go for it. Uh, one big thing I want to mention to Christians and that is that we, we're very concerned about ourselves. We're very turned in on ourselves. We have John Sly coming here from Grace Community Church, and he always talks about sarks, human nature, and it's bent in on itself. And when we get sick, then we get really concerned about illness. The thing I noticed about these healing accounts in the New Testament is that going out to people, meeting them where they are, sharing the good news and healing were bundled together. They were commandments. And they were tied together. And we don't, we don't even think like that right now. We need to be thinking outwardly at other people. And I think if we start doing that sort of thing, we'll see more healing, and then we'll see healing within the, the, the collection of believers as well, because God will be rewarding that. And this has been a big lesson. I'm a 58-year-old guy, and I'm just learning these things now. The other You're thing a I, slow learner there, huh? I really am. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to focus on was that grace heals. Grace heals our relationship with God. It heals our relationships with others, and it heals us physically and emotionally. Grace heals us when our immune system kicks in and heals us when we have a cut or we have some sort of an infection that it heals. It heals us when a doctor can successfully treat us with some sort of malady because of his God-given abilities and his research. Yep. And it can also miraculously heal. We don't see that a lot today, but I'm constantly praying this prayer in the book of Acts. When, when Peter and John healed a beggar at the temple, and they were jailed for doing a good deed and released. They went back to the believers, and they all prayed the following together. They said, God, give us great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's my prayer every day. I pray that we in the church start becoming so loving and unified and selfless and humble uh, that 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 these sort of things start happening, that God allows that power to work through us, and, and people find it in the world irresistible. Ed, thanks again for coming in and sharing us as you're on this journey. Good to be back in the booth together again. Man, we need radical stories of grace now in our lives, families, communities, and the world. It's times, crazy times such as these. Look forward to uh, just a great kickoff here in the fourth year of Grace in 30. We're going to be doing um, a few more shows with Ed in the coming weeks and months to notify everyone uh, as these books are becoming available. A replay of this program, along with selected interview highlights, will be posted on the graceand30.com website. Eh, give us a few days. The inter full interview will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Twitter, Facebook, and whatever other social media platform arises in the next few days. And on our ever-faithful WERA.FM website, the show will also re-air on WERALP this Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. This is Ed and Sal signing off for Grace and 30 on WERALP, Arlington's 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.